Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. So I don't know about you, but um, as I look and uh, just uh, see the news and things, it just seems to me that the world right now is getting kind of pushy and yelly and punchy. People are punching each other a lot right now. I, I don't know if you saw in Connecticut, there, the school is changing their mascot and a, a board member got in a fight with a parent and they started punching each other over the mascot. Now, guys, we're changing our mascot here. The Indians has to be changed by the governor's decree there. And so, but don't, don't punch anybody over that. It's okay, all right? You know, you could have your opinions, but uh, I think we're just a little out of control. And I think it's because a lot of us feel out of control. Like the world is just like, what is going on? It's not going the way that we want to. And there's a lot of fear. And so we're grasping for control. And I guess maybe like throwing a punch is a way to, to feel like, well, I'm in control again, or I'm making it happen like I want to. And uh, people are overreacting and doing all the horrible, broken things that come when we try to control situations. And here we are in this series, Highs and Lows. And, and we go through our good times and we go through the bad times. And when the bad times come, we want to just control. We want to make sure that it, that it goes well and it goes the way that we want. And, and if you were here last week, if you didn't hear last week, I really want to encourage you to go online and just listen and, and jump in on that service because we learned that really we don't have to fight and avoid and control our lives and these lows away from us, but instead we just go through them. Because in the lows, God has a purpose and he has a plan. And we talked a lot last week that, it's, that these lows are preparation for us. That God is working in the midst of these things. So I want to give you a challenge. I, I want to just, this is, this is the point that I'm going to be building on this whole morning here. It's an encouragement to you and maybe an admonishment to you. And, and, and listen, follower of Jesus, stop controlling and start sowing. Stop controlling and start sowing. Now let me, let me help you understand what, what I mean by that. So when we were, when our girls were little, they were toddlers, uh, Gene and I went to this uh, parenting class in our neighborhood. And so there was, uh, we all met at one family's house and then all the kids would come over to our house and be babysat at our home. And so we went through this and back then parenting was a little different. It was a little intense. It was a little high control is kind of how it was going in the, uh, um, the Christian circles. And so we're, we're in this class and one of the parents said, well, what we've done is we, we have this circle blanket here and we've taught like our baby, like 18, 19 months old, up to two years old. We've taught our baby to stay on that little rug for 30 minutes. I was like, why do they need that skill? Like, is that so like, if you could like, you go to a park and you just put it, you know, like drop them off, we'll be back in a half an hour. You just stay there. I mean, well, I, I'm not sure well, why they did that, but that's that's what we were encouraged to do. And so then, and we, by the, we never did that. We couldn't have if we tried, I think, with our girls. But then, then um, that same little guy who had learned how to stay on the carpet was over at our house, and he was probably three or four. And then we came back. Um, I don't know where the babysitter was, but he got a hold of a permanent red marker and went to town on our house. It was all over my computer screen. I mean, it was everywhere. We had this white couch, red marks all over our white couch. 
Now see, that, that's the difference between controlling and sowing. See, because controlling is, well, when I'm there, you'll stay in your little circle. See, but if you haven't sown into them, then what do they do when you're not there, right? And sowing is all about who they become and who they are on their own. And, and which would you rather have? You know, one of the things that, that it surprises me, but I love to hear when, when one of my daughters goes to someone else's house and they come back and they say, oh, your daughter was so helpful. I was like, my daughter was helpful and so respectful. Wait a second, who, who are we talking about right now? See, that's good. I'm thankful, right? Because that shows us there's some, some sewing that's happened. That's so much better than when, when I think, okay, I'm sending off my little angel, my perfect angel, and I hear about, boy, your daughter's a hellion. It's horrible, right? Wouldn't you rather have the, the first one? Now, I'm not just talking about parenting here. I'm talking about your work, and I'm talking about your family, and I'm talking about your friends, and I'm talking about your relationships and the way that we go through life. And see, control is about taking that moment and making sure it happens like I want it to, that we get the results that we want, that we get the behavior that we demand. But sowing looks at a different thing. And it looks at the character and the heart and their mindset. It looks like the long term, who they are becoming. And we want to control, right? Especially when we feel like we have lost control. People who, who as growing up, if growing up you felt like you were often out of control, don't be surprised if you want to control things now. Right? That's a normal reaction and response. Control is what we do when we're afraid or, or like when our ego is threatened. Some of us just come from a baseline where we feel out of control, so we must control. That cannot happen in my hand. I can't have it. I have this thing handled. I am in control. See, but in our highs and our lows, we don't have to control. We can trust God has a purpose, he has a plan, he's always working preparation for us. And see, I think control, it's the last gasp that we have when we're running low on trust and faith. See, I think trust and faith for you, for, for me, for a follower of Jesus, trust and faith is like oxygen. And so the waters rise and the difficulties come and, and then you know, our trust and faith is starting to go under and it comes over and as soon as we can't breathe our trust and faith anymore, we're like, oh, we gotta control this. I gotta make sure this doesn't happen. We're afraid. So we take control. So we're gonna look at the Bible. We're just gonna do a kind of a, a big overview, a quick survey of four different times where people just took control. And not, not once does it go well. It always causes problems when you try to swoop in and take control. And the first point I want to make, we're going to look at Mary and Martha just really quickly. There's so much in that story. We're just going to take a, a quick look at it. But control is born from the wrong concern. And that's what we see with Martha here. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Luke 10, verse 40. And so Jesus is coming to their house to visit. In verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. See, she's looking at the wrong things. She's concerned with the wrong things, like control usually is, all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And then here she comes controlling. Right now she's going to do something about it. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. What is Martha concerned about? So many things. 
about her parents, about her hospitality. Maybe she's concerned about her lazy sister. You know, Mary always does that. She always gets out of the work. She's doing it again. Jesus, do something about that. And Jesus says the wrong things. You're controlling because you're looking at the wrong things. There's only one thing that's really needed. And what is that? To sit at my feet. To be with me. See, Jesus is concerned about connection, about the relationship, about the heart, about the transformation, about the growth. And control, you know, it's like I was thinking about it. It's kind of like a weed, a weed whacker. You know, you start up that weed whacker and you got these plants and you're... Right? And, and it takes care of things, right? It clears it out really, really quick and it makes a mess and it's really hard to be precise. And, but, but what happens with the weeds? They just come right back. Sowing is such a different thing. It's about the inward transformation, right? It's to come down and it's to dig in the dirt. It's to look at the heart and it's to look at the problem. And you can say, oh, now what do I need to do here? What do I need to plant? What's the root of this? How can I get into what God really wants to do in the midst of this and to plant seeds? And those seeds come and they grow and they just change things forever. Instead of looking at the outward expression, it looks at the internal change. And so in our parenting, you know, why do we get so controlling with our kids? Well, isn't it because we have these expectations of like, this is what life is going to be. This is what you have to be like. If you're not doing this, here's another one. It's a bad reflection on who I am. What, what will all the other parents think when I send you to school without a coat? It's nine degrees out right now. But I, I want you to understand that if I see your kid without a coat, I don't think you're a bad parent. I think you have an uneducated child. <laughs> and that child is just about to get an education. <laughs> Doesn't take too many nine degree days to go out there and learn, hmm, maybe tomorrow I'll have a coat. That was miserable. Now, I'm not saying... There's a, there's a trend right now, it's actually for the last number of years. I'm not saying that we should engage in free-range parenting. You heard that before? I don't even understand that. Like free-range, that's what you do for things you're going to eat. Okay, we're not eating our children. All right? No, not free-range parenting. You don't do that with things that you're trying to develop and train and grow. And parent, you have to take control. You have to jump in, right? You're responsible. Okay, but it's just the way that we do this. See, I'm actually kind of worried that that, this free-range parenting idea is just like, well, let them do what they want, you know? And like, no, no, see, we're supposed to train up a child in the way they're supposed to go. You have to engage. You have to teach them because if you don't teach them, something else will teach them. They're not going to do it as well as you and they're not going to do as kind as you. But I'm talking about the way that you do it and your heart and your, your motives in the midst of it. So here, let's take a classic example. I'm sure you've heard this before. So, so you're talking with someone and your kid comes up and they just interrupt you and they interrupt you and they interrupt you. What does control do? Right? Okay, you fix the problem. They're not interrupting anymore. What have you done for them? What have you done for your child? Nothing, right? What would sewing do? Sewing would say, okay, hey, when I'm talking, what I want you to do is I just want you to put your hand, just kind of grab my leg right here. Next time this happens, you just grab my leg, and what I'll do is I'll grab your hand. And then every time that you're, you're getting impatient, you just squeeze my hand, and I'll squeeze your hand back. And that tells you I'm listening. Okay? 
Now, what have you done there? You're sowing. You're sowing respect. You're sowing, you're sowing patience. You're dealing with the problem, but you're doing it in a way that you're trying to build them up and help them grow. And see, this happens with our spouses and our friends and our coworkers, and we control. And why? Usually for protection. Usually because I don't want to get hurt and I just want to be safe and I want to validate me in my way. I want to hold power and make sure this goes as I want it to go. See, but Jesus is our protection and Jesus is our validation and Jesus is the one who gets all power and glory and we surrender to his will, not enact our will. Proverbs eleven eighteen gives us a great plan. I mean, in everything, in, in all of our relationships, whenever we want to control, it says that he who sows righteousness will reap a reward, a sure reward. We sow righteousness. Do you understand? That's the planting. That's the seed. What is good, right, true, pure, lovely, righteousness. And it's 100% certain that it's going to come back to you. It's 100% certain that something good will come if you plant righteousness. So just like in our city, in your work right now, in your work, just plant righteousness, plant righteousness, plant righteousness, and you know, the reward will come. Favor, open doors, relationship, good reputation. 100% guarantee if you sow righteousness there, that good will come from it. In your family, if you sow righteousness, what comes? Connection, safety, closeness. Just sow righteousness in your family. Scripture tells us that in our city, if we sow righteousness, that actually our city prospers. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Sow righteousness and prosperity comes to Montrose. You have the power to do that. In our nation, if we sow righteousness and sow righteousness, you know what it does? It holds back evil. There's so much power just getting in the dirt and saying, okay, I'm going to plant righteousness here. I want to see life come through this. Instead of taking that weed whacker and just cutting everything down, it's so temporary. Sowing is so eternal. I just want to encourage you, don't cut weeds, plant seeds. Plant seeds that grow, train, teach, encourage, build bridges, foster hope. In everything you do, in your family, in your work, in your community, so you can see that reward that is 100% guaranteed by the promises of God. And I want to ask you, are you, a, are you a swooper or are you a solver? You swoop in, take this thing. Anybody have a boss who's a, who's a swooper? If he's here, don't raise your hand. Right? We've all had those guys. And they come in and they think they're making change. They're just, they're just leaving a path of destruction is all they're doing, right? And they come in like... And then we're sitting there. And you know what? All we are is just glad when they're gone. I'm like, okay, he's gone. Now let's go back to what we were doing. Not changing anything. But a solver. A solver comes in and says, okay, now how can I help you, employee? How can I build you up? How can I train you? How can I teach you? How can I make you effective so that when you're out there and I'm nowhere near, you're better? How can I empower you to do this thing? All right, so the, the next uh, little uh, account we're going to look at shows us that control often overreacts. Control overreacts. So we're going to go to the book of Esther. Amazing, amazing 
account here. And so this is, uh, Israel is in uh, captivity um, underneath the Persians. King Xerxes is the ruler, and King Xerxes uh, lifts up this guy named Haman. And Haman's actually the whole problem in the book of Esther. And it all comes, the whole book of Esther actually comes. This is the moment that we have to have this book. And because Haman is lifted up, there's a Jewish man by the name of Mordecai. And he refuses to bow before him. And so we'll just look at this one little part. And if you haven't read the book of Esther, do, because it's just, it's awesome. So Esther 3, verse 5. So when Haman, so this is this ruler here who's been lifted up, he saw that Mordecai, and that's the Jewish man, would not kneel down or pay him honor. He was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, it seems to me that genocide is a little bit of an overreach. That seems a little excessive, right? See, but that's what control does. Like that weed whacker, it just kind of mows down everything. Instead of the precision that God often works with, the Holy Spirit always, he's so precise. And control, it's all about us. Who we are, how we feel, sowing is all about them. What's the problem for Haman? It's his self-esteem. It's his identity. It's his expectations. It's his his reputation. And see, when your identity is on the line, there is a lot that is on the line. And no wonder you overreact. Because this says everything about who you are. So control goes crazy. Sowing, on the other hand, it's worried about the preparation. It's measured thinks it over. It's thinking about the investment, the long term, it's thinking about the other person. All right, the third thing is control relies, puts its trust in the wrong things. We're actually going to look at a very godly man by the name of David. He was a ruler of Israel, and this is towards the end of his reign, and so it's all pretty much just wrapping up. He's about to hand things over to Solomon here, and he's been uh, the most successful king uh, by far to date, well, the second king, so didn't have a lot to measure against. But in 2 Samuel 24, towards the end of his reign, verse 2, it says, So the king, that's David, said to Joab, that's his general, and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? So the problem here is David's not about to face a battle. He actually did take a census at the beginning because he needed to know what he had as he was going. But this is kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. And so we read in a different passage about Nebuchadnezzar. He goes up to the top of his temple, this pagan king, and he looks and he says, look at all that I have made. And we've got David with the same attitude here. Let's see how powerful I am. Now that we have peace, now that I've conquered all these lands, let's see how many men I have. Let's see what I can do if I wanted to. See, but God doesn't need big armies to win battles. Jonathan, it was just him and his sword bearer, they took out 20 guys all by themselves. Gideon, 300 men, tens of thousands of Midianites go down. And see, what you have to understand is God does not need your skill to run the world. God does not need your talent to guide your family. He doesn't really need you to do what he wants to do, but he includes you, right? He shares with you. And he brings you into what he's doing. That's the difference. 
control, that relies on our foresight and our ability and our knowledge and our skill, our deep knowledge, which is laughable. And we barely know what we want, much less what we need. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads in death. We thought that was good, and it was a mess. Anybody here make any bad decisions this year? Anybody ever hire the wrong person? When you made that decision, you didn't say, you know, this guy, he's going to be good for about four months, and then he's going to just turn toxic, and he's going to ruin the whole office. Everybody's going to hate him, and it's going to take me another six months to get rid of him. Let's do it. You thought it was going to go different, didn't you? We don't have the insight. We don't know. So we come down, see, it's such a good place to be down here, planting the seeds. Because it's a place of humility. I don't know. Father, I'm looking to you, help me. See, when you're down on your knees, you can start praying. Show me how to sow righteousness. Just show me how to be a blessing here, Lord. Show me how to do it your way. And it certainly will bring a reward. So righteousness. I ran across a, uh, an article in the Harvard Business Review. And I thought, I thought it was a clever kind of ironic title. And the, the title of the article was The Pros and Cons of Making a Pros and Cons List. And so it said, like, uh, I think the third con was, well, when you make a pros and cons list, that you, um, you forget about other options. You know, you just narrow it down to two options and there could be a better third option. Now, I don't care if you make pros and cons lists. I think it's a great way to make decisions. But what, why I wanted to share that with you is because everything has a downside. Even a pros and cons list. Who knew a pros and cons list has a downside? Everything, every choice we make, there's a downside that we don't see. And those things that, we are, that are highs in our lives, listen, I, I know that not all the highs, not all the things that I was hoping for are actually turned out to be good. And in the same way, not all the lows that I've encountered, the very thing that I didn't want to happen necessarily turns out to be bad. In fact, sometimes the very thing, like I'm like, Lord, I don't want that. Lord, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. And that happens. And I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. Thank you, God, for that low. It's exactly what I needed. Because he knows and we don't know. Which brings us to our last point, which is control is often too little, too late. And so we're in Samuel again. We're going to look at a guy named Eli. And Eli is the priest, and he's got two sons, Phineas and Hophni, and they're bad news. Grown men, and they're not doing very well. And so uh, just they're making horrible decisions as leaders in the temple. And in 1 Samuel 2, 22, it says, Now Eli, who is very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel. Now remember, these are, these are like the priests. These are the pastors there. And how they slept with the women who served in the entrance to the team tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. This is serious stuff. And what we have here, I think, is too little too late. See, now, obviously, they needed to be removed from their position, and they will be removed from their position. But did you see at the very beginning, it says, now Eli was very old. 
And I think that's important because the sons are grown up now. And see, we're way past the time of talking. That talk should have happened years ago. He's like, well, guys, you just got to stop, right? And what should have Eli done instead? He should have, their entire lives, he should have been sowing into their lives. What if Eli would have showed, listen, you have respect for the sacred things. This place is holy ground. We serve a powerful, righteous God. And we, didn't, we never rush in where angels fear to tread. But we come in with reverence. And what if we would have taught his sons, and this is how you treat a daughter of Jehovah. This is how you treat a woman. And you, with respect and honor, and they're precious, and you don't act like a creepy uncle. Be, be a spiritual father. Lift them up and care for them and protect them. What, what if Eli would have done that from the start? And it would have been in their hearts to honor them. It would have been in their hearts to honor God. See, but right now he comes and he says, stop it. And they're like, oh, okay, dad. Is he gone? Yeah, I think, I think he's left now. Let's get back to it, right? See, a lot of us, we're, we're control freaks. And we don't even know it. Or some of us are control freaks and we don't think we can help it. Now, I put a, a little list together here. See, because control changes the moment, but it doesn't solve the problem. And sowing is so different. So here, here's just how you can tell the difference between the two. Controlling reacts. I got to fix this thing. Here it comes. I'm going to do something now. Sowing prepares. Let's get ready for the future. Let's plant those seeds. It's going to take a while. It's a lot slower to sow. You don't get that instant, instant gratification when you sow. Controlling brings temporary, immediate compliance. Sowing changes hearts for the long term. Controlling forces our own will. Sowing releases God's will. Controlling produces discord. Sowing releases righteousness into the situation. That's what we want is God's righteousness. Controlling achieves our desires. Sowing empowers others to achieve their best. This is a huge part of it. Raise up all those people around me. I mean, even those people that we don't like, even those people that we think that are against us, let's sow righteousness to in their lives so that there can be transformation in their hearts. Controlling breaks bonds. No one likes to be controlled. If you ever worked for a micromanager, you know. God, I'm just so glad they're not here. Just get away, right? Sowing in your family builds connections. In your work, it builds connections. This person cares about me. This person wants me to grow. Controlling, it's fueled by our panic and our fear. Sowing comes out of our rest, our faith, our trust. God's still got it. I can stay focused on righteousness here. I don't have to freak out because God's going to take me through this thing. Controlling overestimates our ability. Sowing underestimates our influence of how we can change so many things through, through righteousness. Controlling must realize this outcome. It has to be this way. Sowing says whatever comes. Whatever comes, I will plant righteousness. Whatever comes, I will honor God. I want you to understand, you have so much influence and so little control. You have so much influence and so little control. I've got three daughters now that are all out of the house. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned, now that they're gone, I can talk about it, I guess, right? One of the things that you learn from a high school daughter is that if they really want to, they will. If they really want to, they're going to do it. And I learned that I can't force them, but you know what? I really can influence them. 
And it's so much better. Now, and I have to respond, and and when things, they they don't do it right, you know, it's my job to get in there. But it's so much better off if I can teach them to not want to. Isn't it? Because then they go, and they're like, all right, go. I know your heart. I trust you. Sigh of relief there. As we go through our highs, and as we go through our lows, stop controlling circumstances. Start sowing righteousness. See, it's to take an eternal look. It's to see the value that's in other people. It's to look to the values and the things that God really cares about in his heart. And one of the amazing things about sowing righteousness is that it, it reverberates. And it touches life after life. I mean, if you teach your children, for example, to love, to be respectful, then it influences those people that they influence. It influences your grandchildren and their children and their children. I mean, it just reverberates. It goes on and on. It will produce a reward. You can just change one bad belief or one idea in a friend or a coworker. It affects their whole family. It affects everyone that they touch. It just goes on and on and on. And see, control really, control really is defiance. It's I'm going to do it my way, God. You know what sowing is? Sowing is an act of surrender. Okay, God. What do you want? Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want to do. As we come into Christmas, I'm reminded of Mary and how the angel says, you're going to bear a son. You're going to be the Savior. And Mary, she, she responds to the angel, may it be to me as you said. I surrender. I surrender to your will, Lord. If this, was, if this is what you want, may it be just like you want. What a wonderful reminder as we come into Chris, Christmas, just to surrender, to lay it down and say, I'm not going to control everything. I'm going to influence. I'm going to sow. I'm going to work righteousness. But I'm just going to trust that God's going to bring about the results that need to be brought about. I'm going to let go and surrender. So Father, I just thank you that your Holy Spirit never controls us. You sow righteousness, you nudge, you woo, you encourage, you challenge. But Lord, you let us decide. And I thank you that you are just so kind and so empowering and so loving. And I pray, Father, that we would just follow your example. And God, that we would let go of control, we would let go of our demands, and that we would surrender to your spirit. Lord, that we would be a people who just sow and plant righteousness. And I thank you, Lord, that as we do that, it may take a little while, but we will see a reward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.